And I've had three different people say, wow, you really need to write a book. So I guess it's something I should very seriously consider. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. Amanda Woodford has been told by three people in the last month that she should write a book. And in talking with her, the unique tapestry of her life is definitely bookworthy. For her training as an art therapist at Quaker College in Ohio, she interned at a maximum security men's prison, helping inmates to flourish and discover their artistic talents. The program started with one inmate and catapulted to three dozen, and I can't wait to talk a little bit more with her about that. She's certified as a police officer and worked in both the public and private sectors of law enforcement until significant personal setbacks found her on the road, Texas, then Chicago, and today working two jobs as an independent woman standing on her own two feet. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you today. And thank you for taking time off of your uh, incredible schedule to chat about your life, which deserves definitely time in the sun from the short call that we had. And now we get to bring you out a little bit more into the world. Let's talk about this incredible experience you had working in the maximum security prison with the inmates what did you find most prevalent about their experiences with art? Well, um, the college I attended was a Quaker college. And if I may touch on that just for a moment, because I think it really helps shape why I did what I did in the college. Um, they basically believe no one person's better than another. And they have a true outpouring in love for everyone. And in my four years at the college, I realized that that is definitely how I felt in my own life. Um, so I decided to pursue doing art therapy in the prisons facilities to help those in obviously a less fortunate uh, situation and less fortunate, you know, part of life. Not everyone obviously ends up incarcerated. Um, in my college, um, actually had four branches of our colleges in four different prisons. So I had already experienced working in the prison and being in the prison through some of my other classes and realized I wanted to follow in those same footsteps. And what were the inmates like with art? Uh, you, I, From what I understand, they were uncuffed and it was just you in there with them doing art. Yeah, so um, obviously their life situation led them down a path that they were incarcerated, and I think a lot of them were less fortunate and did not get to experience art classes and did not get to experience um, anything along those lines at all. Um, and not only is art important because it offers therapeutic elements, but some of the men were immensely talented. 
Um, so I wanted to go in and show them a, what art was B the different mediums that are offered in art. You know, someone might like to paint or someone else might like to draw. So I took the entire program and I shaped it and molded it around what I had learned through my eight years, um, in the art program for in high school, for in college to basically mimic my portfolio where in a shorter time frame, they're learning about these different mediums and styles of artwork um, to help them grow and learn and change. Um, and then I also made sure that there was nothing dark and depressing. Like they weren't allowed to come in and paint skulls. They had to <laughs> right. do projects for their, yeah, they had to do projects for their loved ones. So paint something for your mom, paint something for your children, um, paint something that you hang on your wall and it reminds you of an art class that you loved and enjoyed. I had rules that had set, you know, some guidelines. They couldn't use black unless it was mixing a color to make a darker shade. Um, yeah, so it was like a really amazing experience, I think, both for myself and the inmates I helped. And you started with one there was first one participant, you know, I, I like, I love that yeah. image of the one guy walking in. It's kind of like a movie moment, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the brave guy who's like, I want to do art. And then it grew right to three dozen inmates. Yeah, it was really amazing. Um, I think they realized I was there truly to help them, to benefit them. Um, and it, you know, I don't want to say it was a shining light in the darkness, but kind of. Um, I actually worked in what was called the residential treatment unit, which meant, meant all inmates had some type of a mental diagnosis. And so um, they it was a very deep, dark, depressing area. Um, and so I think once they saw, okay, she's legit, she's here to help us, um, slowly but surely, a couple more trickled in, and then a couple more turned into a dozen, which turned into two dozen, which I think we ended up around three dozen people, um, which was just wonderful. You know, I was able to really help so many men change and grow and learn, um, and it, it was, you know, it was a wonderful experience. That's amazing, and I was going to ask you about the Quaker aspect because I saw it as the name of the school and I didn't know it was literally a Quaker school called, you know, Quaker <laughs> College. I went to a Quaker yeah. high school in Rhode Island and I'm glad you had a good experience. I didn't really feel the, you know, love and, and you know, as much as you're you're talking about in the Quaker school it was all girls. It was um, expensive and. Mm. There was, um, you know, just a little bit of like a social hierarchy there, which I found really interesting. So I'm glad to hear that there are Quaker schools that are bringing their teachings out into the world and doing good I, with um, them. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my, actually the city where I graduated high school was founded by Quakers. So um where I went to college was about mm, 45 minutes away from where I graduated from high school. So the Quaker faith in Ohio was prevalent. Um, and I, I feel so sad to hear that you had kind of a social hierarchical experience because that's like everything Quakers are against. Um, I had an amazing experience. 
And uh, all four years I was in school, it was just like an outpouring of love. The professors just really, truly cared about your well-being and cared about your success. And even to this day, like I have two um, professors that I feel like left a profound impact on my life, Joyce Dozier and Hal Schunk, that just really changed who I am and why I am who I am and how I feel the way I do because they were such an integral key role in my life with, you know, just, again, that outpouring of love. So I did. I had a wonderful experience that I'm very thankful for. It's so interesting how two people can have completely different experiences with one, I would call it, you know, religion, but also a construct. You know, I wasn't a Quaker, but mm. I was at a at a Quaker school. Um, so you went on to go to the police academy and you were told when you got in there that it was highly competitive in the job market. I think you said to me there was going to be one job for 2,000 people, but you still persevered. Why? Um, well, I do really feel like my experience at the college and as an art therapist in the prison facility um, impacted my life. And it made me realize I wanted to pursue a career in law enforcement because I really had a heart for criminal justice reform. So I wanted to kind of break into law enforcement as a police officer that truly helped others. And I'll give you a small example. There were many times I would be dispatched to a drug overdose call, and I was the type of officer that the next day I would go back to check on the victim. Aww. It was so very important for me. I wanted to ask questions. Why are you traveling this path? If they wanted help, you know, what I could do to assist with the rehabilitation. I felt like there was a true need for that. Yes, we are interacting with those at the, you know, it's basically the poo hits the fan, right? When people call the police, they don't call the police because they want to call the police. They call the police because they need to call the police. And there's a difference in that statement. So. I wanted to be able to help make a difference in others' lives to let them know I'm not the bad guy. The police aren't the bad guys. We're here to help. We're here to help and let me help you. And you didn't come from a family of law enforcement. Is that correct? No, I did not. Um, we did have some, like both of my grandpas were um, in the military. So we did have a little bit of that in the family line. But I did not come from anyone at all serving as a police officer. And of course, like no one thinks, oh, my little girl's going to grow up and be a police officer. So my parents were not happy at all that that's what I had decided to do. Um, <laughs> right. And, I can know, understand there's it's, some danger, yeah. right? Exactly. There's yeah. danger. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's a big, there was a shift. Like you, you felt recently that there was a shift and people saying you should be more vocal about your story and your life. And the last time you felt a shift, it was a very big deception. Do you want to tell us what that was? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I will share like right before that happened, there was kind of just a change. My career path changed um, which I feel like also kind of cat, you know, change the trajectory of my life, so to say. Um, so I transitioned from 
working in law enforcement to the other element of my degree, which my degree is in fine arts and criminal justice, which is how I was doing the art therapy in the prison's facilities. Um, so I transitioned more to the artistic side of my degree as a creative liaison. So helping businesses grow and thrive with like brand development, color concept, logo creation, signage needs, things of, of that nature. So um, it was interesting because I thrived professionally. I did very well at that. And being creative has always just been very natural for me. And then my degree, you know, also pursuing the fine arts. So it was an amazing time professionally, but personally I was experiencing terrible things. I mean, mental and physical abuse. Um, I lost a pregnancy due to a terrible fight. Um, my relationship of 11 years abruptly ended. Which this so is the was, deception that I mentioned. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I was like professionally doing well, but personally extremely depressed. Um, well, he walked I in the door. Through. He walked in the door. Let's talk about the deception specifically, because that's, that's what took the wind out of me when you were telling me that story in our phone call. Yeah, it was shocking. Um, you know, he walked in the door like it was a normal day. And for him, it was. He was coming home from work and just announced to me, like, I have a second girlfriend, a second apartment, and she's pregnant and having my baby, just like it was normal conversation. Now, I had been praying for a sign. Like, I had already kind of been receiving some feelings of something just wasn't right. Um, and I prayed, like, as black and white on a page of paper in a book, I want you to show me clearly I'm receiving this message correctly. Like, what is wrong? Like, why are you wanting me to make a change or a shift? Um, and he walked in, it was a Monday. He walked in on a Monday after work and just said that to me. And it was shocking. You know, after 11 years, you think, you know, someone when you don't. Um, and so it was literally cold Turkey quitting an 11 year relationship. I immediately asked him to leave my home. Um, and that was it. That was yeah. it. The yeah. Relationship and I was over. And, and, and writing a book about that, so many people experience levels of deception where they mm -hmm. feel like this is, you know, you felt it coming. You had a spiritual connection because of your service work. What has been your experience with writing about this aspect or in general, people telling you, you should write a book. Have you put pen to paper at any point in time? Um, I, I have not put pen to paper, honestly. I do like to speak with others and help others. Um, I seem to have this odd gift where people just come to me and share with me stories of just difficult, difficult times in their life. And so I have opened up and shared my story to those I'm trying to help and like kind of guide and lead like, hey, there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow like don't give up you know here are some things that that might help you um so you know and I think for me that was also really important I had to break that depression I had to get out of it because it's hard I mean it's hard for any life change is difficult but 
something that's like just kind of a, like you said, takes the wind out of your sails is shocking and, and it shakes you. You're like, how do I recover from this? So when people say you should write a book about that, you have no prior experience, even as an artist, with writing. <laughs> no, other than like, you know, I went to a liberal arts college and of course, like whatever I would have studied um, in, in school, I do write a lot professionally for my job, just with my, um, you know, account management, the, you know, different um projects I'm doing, I do have to write professionally, but I have not sat down personally to take the time to do that. And also at the moment, I'm working 80 hours a week. So my life's a little insane right now to be able to sit down and, and pour any time into writing. But it's something in the last like two to four weeks that's kind of been an eye-opening experience for me because of, you know, like you said in the introduction, I've had three different people say, wow, you really need to write a book. So I guess it's something I should very seriously consider. Yes. And you mentioned to me, <clears throat> thank you for mentioning the 80 hours that you are, you know, and I, and I think you said it seriously, but also a little tongue in cheek at the same time. And I can completely relate that you're a workaholic. And what does that mean <laughs> to you? <laughs> do you? And do you have any intention or like around that? Or is there a narrative about that you hope to change? Well, um, I've always jokingly said I work hard, but I play harder. So I do really enjoy traveling and spending time with my family and, you know, going on special vacations. So, yes, I do really work hard, but working hard has also kind of allowed um, some freedom with being able to do what I want to do and, um, you know, being able to purchase a home and, being able to love in an area I live in an area I love and um, you know, work working hard allows me to play harder. <laughs> so it's not all just work, 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 I promise. Right. I think that that word we use that word workaholic sometimes in all different ways. So sometimes it, it depends on what state we're in, right? Like if I feel like I'm completely working way too much and, and it's out of balance, then I'm a workaholic. But if I'm working a lot and loving it and everything's flowing, then I just, you know, I'm a hard worker. It's just interesting mm. how the the vernacular there can get twisted um, depending on our situation. So I'm curious about your spirituality now. I know that even in your most depressed time, even though you ask God to take you, you don't believe in suicide and you've gotten through. So where are you at at this point in your life in, in terms of divine connection or intervention? Yeah, I definitely, um, I've had phases of my life where I am a devout churchgoer. You know, I'm on the praise and worship team, or I'm in the choir, or I was actually um, in a criminal justice reform group with my church in Chicago. Um, you know, I've been on the fine arts team where we helped with the set decoration and preparation for the Sunday worship. Um, so it's been kind of nice because I've had the experience to tie in what I love doing, which is the arts, um, singing and performance and um artistically speaking, with church. Um, so that's been a really amazing outlet for me. Um, I did fairly recently move, so I have not reconnected with a church 
um, in the last, you know, six to 12 months, like I had been connected in the past, but it is definitely, um, something that is prevalent in my life. People really tend to ignore what I call warning signs or like the little voice talking to you in your head. I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know what you mean. I know the difference too. (laughs) Yeah. And, And sometimes it's truly a message. Like it is something that is intensely being delivered and people just choose to ignore that. And it's so important not to ignore it because it's something that really could change your life, not just for the worse, but for the better. Um, I have a small story I'd like to share. I, in Chicago, walked to work every day and took the train. And as I walked to the train, I always took the earlier train because the morning commute train, you're like smashed like sardines in the train. And as I walked to the train, I I heard a voice say, don't get on the train. I ignored it. I'm like, I hate the, the morning commute train. It's too packed. So I kept walking. I hear it a second time as I get closer. Don't get on the train. I ignore it. As I reach the actual like um, stairs to lead up to the train track, it's like yelling at me. Don't get on the train. So I'm like, okay, okay, fine. I won't get on the train. I go back home, sit for 45 minutes on the couch, fully dressed in my coat with my bag on, wait the 45 minutes to go catch the morning commute train where I'm packed like a sardine and miserable. I get to work in our HVAC unit that has like a, it's some kind of um, mechanism that keeps carbon dioxide from releasing and killing everyone in the building had broke. And had I gotten on the train with my normal commute time, I would have died. And wow. I, I know, yeah. And I, I know it's like a small example, but I listened to that voice. That voice has saved me. And that's not, you know, the only story I could share that has saved me so many times and people choose to ignore it. And and I don't, I mean, it's really helped me get through some tough situations and saved my life. Well, what that indicates to me when I hear that story is that you have some work to do in this world. It's not, your time has not come to go. And so I look forward to hopefully having you write that book, hopefully having you <laughs> continue to move into some, all these different areas with your art. And you've had this incredible, uh, diverse life and it's continuing, continuing to go. So I'm excited to see what more happens for you. And thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at astoryinside.com. <laughs>